0: Real life.
1: Superpowers.
0: Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. It's alive. Real life. Superpowers.
2: We're here with Matan Berkovich, an award winning inventor interdisciplinary artist entrepreneur forbes under 30 ted speaker he's actually also the one playing the guitar in the background right now and he's a lot more things matan what's up how are you
1: i'm pretty good what's up
2: i'm good i'm good So last time, uh, we actually gave this another attempt a few months ago, uh, and it was so disappointing because halfway through the interview, we realized that uh, we actually were not recording. Something went wrong, technically. Uh, And I'm very happy that we're doing this again.
1: Me too. Good. What are you up to these days? Um, I'm in a very interesting time because I'm extremely focused, maybe for the first time ever, on one thing. and It has transformed my life, actually, from the previous time we were here. I think there's like a kind of an apparent transformation for me between who I was then and who I am now, Uh, mainly because of this kind of grounding, centering focus. So, yeah, interesting times.
2: Wow, that's like the peak, I think, of what probably every human being aspires to. And A, I wish you to keep that feeling because I think uh, a lot of the times we we experience that and it sort of comes and goes. Yes. Uh, And I'm really rooting for you to sustain that.
1: Thank you. But I kind of disagree with the idea that this is what everybody's looking for, rooting for. I actually, myself was actively avoiding this my entire life. I was actually really on point on trying to like kind of prove to myself or to the world that it's not, uh, you know, one way that you have to follow. And like, there's a lot of myth, I think, surrounding this idea of like multitasking is bad and like, you know, focusing on one thing is kind of this fundamental truth you have to obey. And I found this to be false for me, like both intuitively and emotionally and also professionally. I was able to do different things and and feel like in a way that they're fulfilling and they're they're happening. So it wasn't really what I was aspiring to. It was more something that I feel has been in process for a really long time for me to really kind of surrender to one thing that feels big enough or important enough. To put all your whims aside for a little while and just like give it everything.
0: I concur. By the way, I'm I'm scared shitless of uh, just saying just the one thing. Yes. You know, I'm always thinking of things that can synergetically work with other things. And if I do this, then I could think. You know, like the strategy is uh, also you know saying yes to a lot of things brings a lot of um, um, motion. Yes. I like motion. Yeah. So, like, you think so? It's because the thing is big enough, or is it like a stage that you need a little more quiet right now?
1: Well, I think obviously these kinds of things, <clears throat> especially when they're like out of the ordinary or like substantial for us, they kind of come together. Everything comes together in your life, in your personal life, in your professional life, in your current state of mind. So I think in my individual journey up until now, I moved more and more into this realm of trying to make things matter in my, in my mind, in my heart, you know, have them like be real and substantial and for them to matter potentially to other people. And that my biggest frustration in trying to do so was that It did help me in many, many ways. It did help others in some ways, but it was never really in my life that scalable. It was always kind of at the end of the day, the most scalable aspect of my work for me has been, you know, when you give talks or when you tell stories or when you come out with what you're doing and people are inspired, that could be considered impact. And that for me was pretty scalable. I was able to do that at scale. The things I was actually doing and building and putting my energy into were not talks or storytelling. They were the actual things. And they remained for many years, or not many years, just a few years where this was kind of at the center of my life now. Um, They remained, I think, kind of at bay. They didn't grow or explode because by design and by who I was kind of doing them, they were all kind of limited, I think, in, in scope. And I was trying to penetrate through this and really reach that place where I feel what I'm doing is important enough or real enough to help a lot of people. And once I started feeling this way about something and it became more and more apparent that it's growing and it's happening... This kind of disciplined me because all of a sudden, my normal priorities kind of changed to accommodate this growing child that feels more important than me and most of what I want so it pulled you naturally, like it was a natural thing, yeah, and it was over time. you know I found the right partner, we found we started building the right team, we got you know that kind of specific kind of funding we gradually fell into. This kind of commitment. It was there, like, kind of like when you fall in love and it's there from the beginning. You see this in this other person's uh, eyes. You're like, oh, I I could be this thing for you. Like, it's not out of the question. It's not like something, you know, that I can't imagine. But obviously, it's very far from where we are right now. This is like the first day. So now I can't say, like, you know, that this, like, that we have started a family yet with this project because we have a small family of people working on it. But I think the real family starts when, not when the investors come in, but when the actual people using it start coming in, that's when it's a family right Mm -hmm. now. It's only pilots and stuff, but I do feel like I am like deeply in love with this thing. And, and, you know, not in the sense of like, I'm falling in love. I have a crush, but more in the sense I'm willing to do the sacrifices and I'm willing to change my life around for something that feels sometimes just bigger than you. So who is this new relationship with? So uh, it's basically a device that I can't really say that much about yet, but I can say more than I could up until very recently. It's now starting to be something we're talking about. And it's basically it's a, a tongue-based operating system. So the idea is the ability to control the technology around you, digital devices like a phone, a computer, a wheelchair, a smart home, using your tongue without relying on your hands.
2: And how is this? Uh, I mean, I want to talk about the actual technology as much as you'll be able to discuss at the moment but before that what here in this project is so different for you
1: uh everything feels different i feel like the only time i've ever approached uh this kind of position was when i built uh, the instrument which is a uh, gesture controlled musical instrument so basically you know i spent a few years with different people and different kind of incarnations working on this device with the mission of making the most intuitive most accessible musical instrument ever and this took me for a, a bit, for a while, into this kind of more startupy, classical kind of world where you're, you know, in an accelerator. I was in like an accelerator by the European Union and then by a uh, mass challenge and <clears throat> I had like attempted to have like different co-founders. And I even had investors that were interested and I got to, you know, play all over the world with this thing live and, and test it and have people use it and start like – Experimenting with a hospital, so I was really moving into that direction. And but this is
2: the, just so people understand, this is what people can also see in your TED Talk, where you're actually gesturing, and sound is occurring at the
1: same time, Yeah, correct? it's translating your hand movements and your spatial kind of orientation into music. So as you're moving your hands, you can play. Uh, and really the idea there is just to have it like be very easy, very simple, very intuitive to get, so you can start expressing yourself immediately. But my point is, like, I think when you ask me what's different about what I'm doing now, this was the closest I've ever come to doing what I'm doing now. And the closer I came while I was working on this, the more I realized that, like, my personality, my life, touring, giving talks, my relationship, my whatever was happening in my life, were just more aligned and more important for me than, you know, to spend years to get this manufactured in China and sold it uh, to kids at Target. It just wasn't... It wasn't inspiring enough for me. I felt like the mission behind the thing, like making music accessible, which was something that I was doing for years now, uh, this is like the next level in all possible ways. But the idea of turning it into a startup and raising the money and building the team and doing all of these things, for me, it wasn't like a magical, enticing idea. My life were much cooler and much more like aligned with who I was the way they were. And so I realized gradually uh, when attempting to kind of go there that it doesn't feel right. Even when I got good results, it didn't really feel like that's what I should be doing. And I also didn't really have a partner. I was doing it kind of alone. And I think one of the big differences here is that I never had this. The more I got into this project, the more it felt right. And the more I... It started with a partner immediately, uh, an incredible, brilliant uh, biomedical engineer named Tal Parnas. And she actually came to me with the idea of a town controlled musical instrument. And together we totally, you know, turned it into something much bigger and started, like, making it happen. And having that partnership and having it become this really kind of powerful uh, collaboration and harmonious kind of beautiful collaboration and having the thing we're building feel more and more real and important was something that in this way, I just, I never had, you know, I had cool ideas that turned into cool things, but none of them sold me enough. Do
0: you like, think it's the difference between be- being a rock star to, be key, like, to having something that was like social values and, and impact? Like b- before, you're a performer. Like you're a musician. Afterwards, you're a performer. Also, technology startup performance rock star, as as a persona. Like and, and now you're talking about something that has an impact on a on a social level that may not only, not only give the instruments but also help people a lot.
1: Yeah, that was a path for for the few few years before. I mean, like this project is not like me stumbling into this kind of arena of impact I've been trying basically to to achieve that for years I I built a company called shift that was all around just doing different types of impact driven projects and it was so vague that it enabled me to work on just a bunch of totally different things all over the world from small kind of invisible uh side projects like working with XPRIZE in the u.s or like building things you know in kind of um totally different industries and fields was very, for me, kind of a learning experience. Uh, and throughout this thing, my, my real kind of aspiration was to to reach impact, real sustainable impact. And I feel like, you know, it's kind of like, a, it's a very hyped up kind of confusing word, impact. You know, it's like something that at this point, it's we're almost like deaf to it. You can barely hear it. It's abused. Yeah, but I, I feel it. I feel what I what I mean when I say it, because I don't feel like, it's not for me like a term to use. It's more like something I feel almost in my body. So mm-hmm. if you have... Like, one of the best experiences I've ever had in this in this regard, which really, I think, set the tone for a lot of what I've been doing since, was that in 2015, together with this uh, our incredible NGO in Israel called Imagine, so my company and this and this, uh, NGO, we created this event, building technology <coughs> for people with disabilities, enabling them to play music. And we had, like, a lab going for a few days, like, a weekend. And during that weekend, we had, like, you know, dozens of, like, maybe 30 or 40 really just brilliant people, <clears throat> and they were like all volunteering. they were all you know designers and developers and mathematicians and musicians and therapists and in the center of each group, we had a different person with a different disability who was already a musician and wanted to play and I remember myself moving through that space <clears throat> while everybody was were working and you know it was kind of like this thing where this has been a vision in my mind at that point for a long time, and i 've put a lot of energy into who's doing what, where, who. But at this point, it's completely out of your hands. Now, Mm -hmm. it's all these people just doing their thing based on this kind of more abstract vision you held and manifested. And in that moment, I didn't feel like the kind of, you know, I had that sense of pride or like almost like ego kind of fulfillment of like, wow, we made it happen. It's, you know, I hope it's going to turn out good. But over that, there was a very felt layer of people are being affected positively in ways I cannot even understand right now in this room. And this was such a uh, deep high (laughs) Deep high. That's an interesting (laughs) phrase. Yeah. it was a very deep high for me to feel that in the sense of like, you know, if I can get philosophical for a second, all of this altruism talk of impact and these things, at the end of the day, this is also somewhat selfish. You want to feel something, you want to achieve something. Mm -hmm. Where like humans are like a paradox, you're like this absurdity of you can't escape yourself, right? Even through the most like spiritual deep Mm -hmm. practices, you're achieving something that has to do in a way with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like it wasn't about this altruistic quality. It was just more about the sense of this actually matters. This is actually something that matters. And and I don't know how much it matters. And I don't know, you know, I'm not the one to judge any of this, but I feel it in my body that this is a real thing that's happening. And I think a lot of the things that I, were doing, I was doing throughout my life felt good or achieved something, but didn't necessarily have this. And I'm just trying to raise that frequency
0: as much is as I Is it intriguing can. for you as an entrepreneur not to know what the potential is? Like, I'm sure you know a lot of the potential, but it's also a question mark of maybe it's going to even affect or help things that I don't even know right now. Totally. Is, is that
1: intriguing for you? For this project, again, it's the most I've ever felt this because we're so focused on assistive technology with this and helping people who are disabled. But we also completely recognize this potential to affect other industries and other use cases and actually the little kind of we're just coming out of self so the little I did talk about it and present it at certain places it just generated follow-ups from completely different types of organizations companies and and kind of intentions and i really feel like i don't know what's going to happen it's kind of weird doing an interview and kind of you know you're you're cementing this moment in time in a way so this is before anything happened we're right. like we we've been working on it for a while but it's still very early uh but at least the feeling of potential could be recognized in real time so i don't know what's going to happen but i i am i am excited by you know the kind of mystery behind what you're doing in the sense of like i have a vision but this is bigger than me in, in all kinds of ways including mm-hmm. that you know the the depth of vision mm-hmm.
2: and do you know sort of what drives you because it seems like there's a the theme of trying to help the disabled correct
1: uh i i have done a, a few things in that space for sure right now it's at very very much at the center
2: and do, do you know like Maybe you don't, but sort of what what is the affiliation that you feel towards that? And why why is that the direct sense that you're taking?
1: So I guess there's like a more straightforward kind of superficial answer and, and a deeper answer. Uh, so what I usually say because people ask me, to ask, they ask me this a lot because I oh, talk yeah? about this and, and I you know I kind of you see things that that are in this space, but it's not really clear like why I guess. And, and for me, the, the more direct answer is just that. When I started doing things and and attempting to with the company or with uh, these different projects reach that sense of impact, at the very beginning of it, I worked with a company, or not a company, an organization called Tom, Ticonola Microphone Tom, and they were just starting out. We were part of their kind of establishing team of like you know they they had like the founders and they were like figuring out how to make this thing happen, and it was basically a hackathon uh, where we built solutions for people with disabilities, and I think experiencing that. Early on, And building, not just helping produce the event, but also building, I built like an EEG musical device with uh, an Israeli startup called Neurosteer that was used by this guy, Sefi Udi. who was this brilliant maker, and he was uh, in a wheelchair and he couldn't move anything but his head, but he was able to uh, play guitar before his accident, he wanted to play again, and giving him this EEG kind of tracking brainwave, not really brainwave, brain activity tracking device, and making it into music. Uh, enabled him to play on stage and win one of the awards there. It's magic. And this was for me like, oh, I see all the music tech stuff I'm doing, all this kind of magic, exactly, could be used uh, for impact with these kinds of situations, which made me start doing all kinds of projects in that space with people with disabilities, which eventually led me to do the event I was talking about. That was, you know, kind of a vision only for tech disabilities and music. Uh, And gradually ended up with me doing what I'm doing now, which has nothing to do with music. It has everything to do with disabilities and tech. Uh, you can play with this, by the way. We are playing music with our tongue already, but it's just a demo. It's not the point not at the all. Point. You can type, you can navigate a wheelchair, you can do all these things. So this is like what I would say is a direct answer. If you want a deeper answer, this is something I normally kind of mention less, I guess. But you know, in my own life, I was born with a heart disease. And even though I was very, very young, um, like I was a baby when the dramatic shit like went down. All well, the like big things happened when I was very, very young. Like I was supposed to die, fought for my life. You know, they told my mom to make another baby. I had like a whole drama yeah. surrounding my birth in my first like year or two. And then over time, uh, as, as I became more conscious as a human being, uh, it became less and less dramatic over the years. Like it wasn't, you know, by the time I was in high school, it wasn't as felt in my life. And by the time I, I became like a kind of functional adult, I uh, was already kind of breaking all these barriers. Like I think the the main thing for me that changed everything was when I uh, did skydiving. After I did skydiving, I was like, all right, that's done." Like I I can do everything in a certain Do you life. think you might die before? I mean, no, I think we, really. I think actually
2: most people that before
1: well, die, you can die I mean, for sure. I think mean, you know, I was anyway. thinking
2: before I, was, I, skydived, I thought, "Okay, <laughs> there is a chance I'm going to die now, but I'm guessing, you know, with your condition, it, it must have gone through your head that you're saying no." But
1: this is exactly it. It's like you're you're kind of it's all about I think life is a lot about the narrative you know, we, we hold about so life. True. And that's what it is. And I, I was like, this is why my final act of ridding myself of this narrative that I was given. I wasn't, I didn't choose it. And I kind of, in a way I rejected it from the beginning. I think I grew up in a mindset that always kind of saw itself as, you know, right. The way it is also when they offered me to like come into my body with a little, you know, device and electrocute this, this extra thing I have that shouldn't be there. I was like, no, it's good. You know, like I, I will live with this because this is who I am. And unless right now I'm in like actual danger and you can solve it, I'm okay. And I took this, I'm okay belief to the end when I jumped the 5,000 meters from a plane. And I think like realizing that it was really fun was just like a way for me to start doing everything else. And I started after this doing a lot of things And before I started traveling the world. Why does that, nonstop. Wh-
2: how did that make that change?
1: You're not supposed to run in gym class. You know, you're definitely not supposed to jump off a plane. Or do a lot of the things that... Yeah, but I don't know if I'm over, you know, analyzing here, but it's sort of an
0: adaptation to other consensuses. Like if you're disabled, you can't play or something like that. It's sort of giving other people the reason that who said you can't do something. Exactly. So this is,
1: that's what I'm saying. It's kind of a deeper, right. it's a deeper feeling. It's the sense of like, yes, we have limitations. Yes, I was born with a condition that might be invisible, but it actually is a very physical condition. I have like, there's a thing in your heart and I have two of it. Like, I was born with two of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, so there's a narrative, there's a story, there's even a physical condition. But can we take control of this? Can we make it into what we want? If you were able to play music before, can you play again? If you were never able to play music, can we find out how you can? And if at this point I feel like helping people play music is very nice, but again, that feeling of of impact and scalability, is, I, need, I need to up it. I need to up it. It needs to go up. This is the evolution of, right. of, of your own potential in a way. And so now I feel like, can you do all kinds of things you weren't able to do before in a way that you just didn't consider up until now?
2: And then do you actually go through that methodically? Like, do you think do you sit down and reflect and think, what are the things that are considered impossible? And are they?
1: That's a good exercise. I don't know if I've ever done this. Like, It I think sounds it, it, like almost
2: intuitively you were
1: living that. I think you just think about things that for you are exciting and interesting and you're less limited by what is feasible. Sometimes like I have meetings where I meet people it either they're coming to consult me or coming to consult them. It works both ways. And you're talking to someone and you're like putting on this cap, this hat of like, is this feasible? I'm going to ground you. Now you have a dream. You have a vision. Let me ground you. What are the numbers? You know, this guy who failed at doing this thing, you're, you're constantly grounding the person I've been in this field before. Do you know that it's very difficult to da, 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 da? And then there's like the dreamer cap when you're like, you know, I know everything is possible deep inside. And, you know, we know we can make pretty much anything happen given enough X and Y. Uh I believe that reality is this kind of bendable, <laughs> tweakable uh, matrix like uh, lucid dream. And I think like once you take it outside of the comfort zone of like, can I be a musician? Can I be an astronaut? Can I be something that I want to be? Can I tweak reality to get what I want into like, what does reality need that I can perceive or, or believe that I can help with? You know, and then there's a different energy to it. And you feel like it's not about thinking about things that are impossible. It's more like, oh, this is something that could be done potentially and could help people. Maybe I'll check out, you know, how to do it. And with this project, it was just the first time it was like by checking out how to do it, we just fell into a rabbit hole. Of like we're doing it. You know, it's like that's what we want to do. And that's exciting.
2: And it definitely sounds in correlation to other stuff that you've been doing throughout the past few years uh, trying to help people. like For example, you're, you've you been spending a few years giving a lot of talks, right? Yes. Yeah. So is that like something that you're thinking of shelving for the time being?
1: Well, I actually took a break for months now. I've been on a break from talks. Um, I only gave two talks and they were both in the context of like events or forums where I was actually pitching my company. So it was more like, it wasn't an official pitch. It was more like a Trojan horse, you know, so I was invited to like this very exclusive kind of uh, event for the accessibility industry to give talks about music and tech and disabilities. And I did, but of course about two minutes, no, nothing more than that of the talk. We're like, this is what I'm doing right now. Yeah, we'll Come up and talk to, talk to talk. me. Yeah. You no, know, but that room, cause I, I'm not giving talks right now for months, but that room was like, of course I'm going to give a talk and I'm going to see this at the talk. Mm-hmm. And it uh, gave birth to a lot of really, really good. Uh, and, uh, do blogs. you have
0: any, do you have any tips? Like I, I saw some of your presentations and you're great. Thank you. Um, I, what tips do you have for anybody who's giving talks or presentations that would be helpful?
1: I think, you know, on a very kind of crude level, there's something to be said for, you know, if we simplified, we can call it the gimmick, but it's not really the gimmick. I would say the experience, because what happens with talks is you could watch talks in a row at an event by different people. And some of them would be talking about something you're interested in, some of them would be talking about something you're uninterested in, some of them would be very charismatic, some of them you would find annoying, right? So this is kind of just who the person is and what they do. This is this is the thing. This is the, the source material. But even if there's one talk you really, really liked and it was really, really good, the talk that made you experience, see, participate, have an experience, basically, that you don't really know, that was new, that was exciting, was the one you're going to remember. It's kind of like it's the one you're going to talk about. So like audience involved? There's a, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways to approach it, which is why I'm kind of like, you know, mockingly calling it a gimmick because it could, basically it could be anything. So I'll give you like an example for me. For me, it's a very clear answer. In my case, I started by giving just talks. My TEDx talk is my first ever talk and um, I don't play anything during that talk. I just speak. But I did find because that is kind of like the way I think about things. I did find things I could do on stage using sound design, using things that kind of I triggered on stage within the TEDx format. That made it more of an experience, but it was still very, very subtle. It's like I use like sound design of a train and drops of water to convey a story. I do like these small kind of interesting things that made it more memorable. But that was my first talk. Going forward, I realized more and more that like even when I'm not giving a show, we're actually used because I've, I've given shows where I've used dancers and sensors, and I've had like stage design, and I could actually you know bring a vision to life, and sometimes epically fail at <laughs> a very ambitious undertaking. But just normal talks, you still want to present something that people could feel and see and experience. And for me, it's just kind of like I bring one of the devices. at these days, or like last tours, was usually the instrument. And I play it on stage. So now you saw videos, you saw pictures, you, you hear stories, you imagine things in your mind. Well, let's turn this into A, a tech demo, B, a musical show, and C, the manifestation of everything you've just mm-hmm. heard. And so it kind of brings it to life. And people go like, oh, that was, you know, that was memorable. And then it's easier to remember. It's easier to uh, have booked again. It's easier to just kind of connect to. And I think for people who do not play instruments or perform in that kind of way. We have motion, CRMs. It would be, <laughs> be harder to have that. But, but not really. Let's take CRMs, right? Let's okay. play with this. Okay. So so it's a table. You know, you, you're showing like you, you have like numbers and tables behind you. Can you, in a way, use either... Uh, audience participation by, you know, kind of having them throw in numbers and you put in the numbers yourself and you start to doing the math on stage, you know, and you show them a trick, but you actually show them how you do it with their suggestions, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe alternatively, you can go more creative than that and h- bring some kind of, you know, uh, slot machine thing either on screen or in real life that chooses random numbers. Maybe you have a whole game where you don't even understand where it's going, but at the end of the game, you have all this data that you source from the audience mm-hmm. to work with. And now you can put it into your, t- there's all kinds of things you can do to your talk to make it not a person- speaking over slides for a long time, because I think you definitely can uh, enchant an audience and convey a very, very like deep things with just speaking and having visuals. It's enough. But if you're asking for a tip, I would say beyond everything else, having something truly memorable uh, will pay off because it's just, it's that thing, you know, it's mm-hmm. the thing. Otherwise, there is no that thing. There's the guy who talked about economics. No, no, I'm talking about the guy who talked about evolution. Oh, was that the guy with the beard? Right. No, man, it was the guy who levitated. Oh, the guy who levitated. Right. You know, it's easier to have, like, something that grounds it, for, <laughs> levitation grounds it <laughs> for the for the audience, and they remember it, and they understand, like, what you just told them from an experiential place. Yeah, I saw that levitation CRM guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you see, I would want to see that talk. No, Sorry, I, would, I would totally go with that one. <laughs>
2: So instead of preaching, it's about trying to reflect to the audience why you're passionate about this, what sparked your imagination and what made you so passionate and excited about this and see how they can tap into that. And I think sometimes a a talk becomes really boring when someone is sort of just being very straightforward and talking about, for example, in the CRM example, just showing the table, just showing the numbers.
1: Right. Actually, you're very right because... You know, at the heart beyond like gimmicks or shows or tech, I think like for me, another big piece of public speaking is like, why are you doing this? What's really the point of your talk? And I think at the end of the day, almost all talks have the same point. I think what you really want to do with almost all of the talks, of course, you want to like share information, maybe in a way kind of like help people either learn something or feel something. But what you really want to do is you want to have people feel inspired and to like come out of it kind of in a way maybe aiming higher. is not really the phrase, but, but kind of feeling more aligned with what they really want or believe in. And I think that in a way, you know, of course you can also give a talk that's very depressing about how the world's going to end. Right. But if you don't finish that talk with anything that could be done or anything that you could participate in to like make things better, it's just going to be a depressing a talk. Thing. What you really want to do is you really want to leave people with that sense of like ownership over their lives. And And with what I do, I feel like Beyond like shows or demos, I always end all of my talks the same way. Even when I'm asked to give talks that are very specific and not what I normally do, I still end this way, and I still go like at the end, just a very short version of it would be saying like, "I just spend this time talking to you guys about very specific things that are my story, they're my narrative, so they're like, you know, music and technology and disabilities and all these words that are my keywords, and I don't expect you guys to do any of this. You know, most of you, this is not relevant for you. This is not even that interesting for you beyond this talk. I don't expect you to expect from yourself to do any of this. But if you're feeling that urge right now of like doing something or, or or kind of aligning in that way, I feel like the real point is that there is a sweet spot between two things. It's between what you would do just naturally. You would do it without being paid. You would do it without being asked. That's what you actually want to do. That's your passion or your love or your nature in a way. And then there's this thing you can see and feel that the world around you needs you know, the people you're with, your community, or just like the, your view of the world. And but there's a sweet spot between what you love doing and what you think the world needs kind of meet. Do you think there's always one? I think there's always one. I think there's always one. And I think the quest to get there is not like, oh, I just thought about this and I got the answer. For me, it's it's been years and I still am figuring it out. This This interview right now for me is a moment where I... Imagine that I found something closer than ever, but let's face it—you know, it's all like this is all like a big and sort of—and and sometimes it accordions, right. It, it gets closer and farther and farther and closer. Right. It's like, but you know, the whole trick is just—and this is really the depth of it—the whole trick is just to aim there. So it's not really about getting, getting where. You know, you could at any point of my story, you could stop and either say this is enough or this is nothing. So, wait, so
0: there's no—that's interesting because I'm. This is a philosophical question. I have my own answer. I won't right. say. It, it did most people find it because they said, okay, I find it, found it, that's enough. Or is it really that peak point second that you found something unbelievable?
1: Let's say you have a partner and you want to get married. Mm-hmm. At one point you just said, that's it, you know, and you don't worry about it anymore. No, you're going to keep working on your relationship. And, you, and the whole trip of it is that this person keeps changing and you yeah, keep changing. You're right, but that's that balance. And it's sort of like that also in business. You can say, that's it, that's it. I'm
0: focusing no matter what. I know maybe there's not enough scale. I'm not, not every day I'm happy. I'm working with people who I don't like and you're compromised enough to have that focus or you can work on something that may be there be there for a specific moment. Okay, but I don't know if it's going to be there for all life like if you don't say
1: in my experience it's all this temporary phenomenon all of it and I think this is why the the whole thing is not to find anything because it's just you're trying to like you know catch water in your hands it's not going to work But what you can do is you can choose to go to the water you can choose to go to the sea mm-hmm. and and that's all you can do you can either stay in the dry land and just never mind all of this right now I want to do like I want to aim at a totally different place. Or you can go to the water and it's not about like holding the water in your hands, it's about being in the water. For me, the, the main point of this is that in my personal experience of life, something very deep shifted when I went to the sea. Uh, this metaphorical kind of, you know, or maybe at this point of the conversation, kind of confusing metaphor <laughs> for, for basically going into that into that zone of like, this is what I've done up until now, right? So I I was working as a film director, like I was working not in film but in television and, and internet, and like uh, screenwriting and directing, and I was editing films, and I had bands, and I was making music and touring, and I was producing events. I was active, and I was doing things that I believed in. But at a certain point, after a few years of basically my whole life up until that point was defined by this, and at a certain kind of age around 27, 28, 27, really, where I feel it happens to a lot of people, by the way. I see this happening a lot around these ages. So just going like, wait, who cares but me? Why does this even matter to anyone but me? And I think starting to ask to these questions and having like the privilege, because let's face it, I think most people in the world are not at all in a condition to ask this question and much less so to devote their time, energy, and resources that they might not have to answering this question for themselves. Yes or no. Yes I, and
0: no. No, because like, I think <laughs> today more than, than other times, privileged, you know, not having a lot of money still means I, I have I'm a not, lot of Google. And I Internet don't mean money.
1: I don't mean money. So they can ask themselves, you know what I mean? Like, I don't mean money I mean something deeper than this like obviously a lot of them we do not have money but to be in the position to to even have these kinds of conversations right now and this is something that I I honor and acknowledge because I find it very humbling you need to be physically healthy you need to be emotionally and psychologically healthy okay, you need fair. to have you need to have the right kind of education you need to be born in the right place often in most places you have to be born in the right color the right status you know if you're born in India and you have all of the above but you're in the wrong caste Pretty much done. Now, there are the stories of people breaking through all the barriers. A lot of what I am aiming for and and kind of wanting to do is to help break barriers. But at the end of the day, there is a sense of responsibility that comes when you realize the, the, the level of privilege. You're like, all right. If I'm in a place that can do almost anything, potentially, what am I trying to do? Mm-hmm. What is it that I'm trying to do with this time, with this energy? And I think you spend years, most people spend years chasing out, 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 like after their own dreams, ambitions, and they're often very unhappy, even if it turns out pretty well. You know, even when my career was doing great, and I was a happy person. Because maybe they- it was not the dream. It was my dream, but it was my dream. No one else should really care if I make a great feature film or if my band does really well.
0: No, and and probably the dream evolved till you got to that end end game. You know what I mean? Like like you probably had it. Like most successful people, they have a benchmark. They got to that benchmark, but then they have that bigger benchmark.
1: You know what I mean? Like you grew you grew into that, and then you're thinking, what now? You know what I mean? Like yes, yes, and no, because you're right completely that the benchmark always keeps rising. This is what's happening to me now with entrepreneurship and impact, and all these all these other conversations. But in art, I felt like I was still young and I was still kind of in a way like I had early success when I was a teenager. My band kind of blew up in Israel. We were like playing the big like Balbi and like big clubs when I was 15. You know, I grew up on stages like playing my songs like 500, 600 people who knew knew the lyrics and you know really cared about it was something that I had as a teenager. Right. So I always throughout my life had that feeling of like you know, the next benchmark and like, how do I do all these like extra kind of uh, fulfilling artistic endeavors? And I actually feel it's not that I reached that and I was satisfied and, and I could move on. It was more that like that loop of trying to get there got me to the point where I was like, who really cares about the, why does this matter?
2: I'm trying to understand why is that an important question? Who really cares? Because who really cares? I mean, the people, when he's at the, as a 15 year old, you're playing the Barbie, 500, 500 people are listening 500 people are singing they care but i think what you're saying is they that now. they don't care
1: um yeah the word care is maybe not the right word you're you're right i think at the end of the day it's not about people care about all kinds of things yeah. especially about things like music and film people i care about music and film deeply if or, i maybe if i wasn't here yeah
0: like did it really matter like they wouldn't know a song like is it from there but did it really matter like yes. to take like your new entrepreneurship it, when it succeeds okay it's going to really matter to someone. Like it's a game. If tan was there or not there, it's a game changer, life game changer, as opposed to a song, which is unbelievable. Don't understand me wrong. Which sometimes, oh, by the way, can
1: be a life game exactly. changer. Yeah, for some this is peanuts. why, this is why I don't want to sound like, I think sometimes uh, getting carried away in these kinds of conversation, it could sound like almost um, too harsh of like, you know, I am a person who's really into art. And I still do music and I wish I could still do film. I just don't have time. And I still do. And I started doing interactive art installations and I build things for museums. I love all of this. And I think it does have meaning. It has its place. What I was referring to was more like um, that sense of privilege and responsibility tying into this idea of people are suffering or are being held back or things are kind of in, in the world, all over the world. You could tell at this point in your life, all these different things that are happening. If you are not in any way, Putting any energy or any resources or any intention into any of these things, it just starts feeling awkward. Things that's what, that's are, what I felt. Things as in
2: other people's well-being,
1: for example. But you, you you catch my drift. The idea is like you have the potential to do things. And now there's all these things that could be done or improved or happen. They're not your responsibility. They're definitely not like, you know, nobody is expecting anything. But in my mind, you can almost call this, you know, not, not, I'm like using this carefully, not like mockingly, but it's almost like a spiritual instinct. You're saying like, Mm -hmm. where does this matter? Not in the sense that a song matters, which is also a very spiritual thing, music, obviously. But where does this matter in the sense of like, here's a challenge. Here's people who are affected by this challenge here's an idea or an opening or an opportunity or an angle where I could maybe help this or that or be part of this. What's on the other side of this? And I find that what's on the other side of this is that raising a vibration. So all of a sudden, if you had this feeling of accomplishment or fulfillment or being aligned from creating a song or from getting, you know, a music video for a cool band to happen or something like this, all of a sudden you feel like someone someone's life is changing. This guy's you know, experiencing, for example, uh, the gift of music, right? And you're like, elevated a bit. Right. And then you go, okay, let's go to this area now and work with this organization on affordable housing. All of a sudden, you meet these people who are deeply affected by the affordable housing crisis. And you're not even solving their problem, but you're putting energy and time and resources into figuring it out and helping a massive organization like XPRIZE trying to solve their problem. And this is that
2: something that you actually did.
1: Yeah, I was part of uh, the XPRIZE team. It was led by my friend Leon Schwartz and we we're trying to uh figure out the roadmap to affordable housing. And it's not like we were solving affordable housing. The XPRIZE model is that they issue global competitions for other people to try and solve the world's greatest challenges. And then what we were doing, we were creating this roadmap to what is the challenge? What are the kind of possible solutions? How do you rate them? And so working on this wasn't even, this is like a clear example of not like, oh, here's a child that wasn't able to do something. And now I see her being able to do it and I'm I'm deeply moved. It was more like rigorous work. We were going to Washington, living in LA and doing interviews and doing research and doing kind of cool things, but they were in service of something that wasn't cool. It just felt bigger than you and it felt somewhat, you know, potentially important. And I feel like kind of tracing that frequency, finding that thing within is its own compass. It's its own compass. It's it's taking you somewhere. So it's not to diminish art or creativity on their own. I still, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a disciple of this. But I think at the end of the day, it's like using the same, qualities like in my in my case it probably will be something like i'm not like a technical wizard i'm not like a business uh, savant i'm a creative section. person yeah no, for me it's, it's i think i bring creativity a lot of the time you know and kind of this clarity of thought maybe i bring certain qualities and i can bring them into something why not bring them into something that i feel matters more and more and more and this is an answer that you know you can only give to yourself but once something there clicks it kind of changes i think your decisions and like from there, creativity. Okay, so what's your superpower then? I think it's uh, you know, going from a vision that is born in my head in increasingly higher resolution into reality. I think this is really like what I. For me, there was a huge lesson. By the way, in what we were talking about, this this ties into your question. A huge lesson in moving from art to tech, because what happened was in my fields in in art. I was very much in, in the belief of being able to do everything alone. Like, of course, when you work as a director, you usually have a crew, right? But the type of director or or producer I was, was like, I knew how to do the photography. I knew how to edit. I knew how to compose the music and do the sound and the color Mm -hmm. correction and the mix and the screenwriting and the production and the direction. (laughs) And so if I didn't have a team or I had a very small team, that didn't really matter. Like right. I was I was bulletproof. Same with music. I knew how to play different instruments and record them and mix them and synthesize and do these different things that like I can have a band, but I can also not have a band. Right. I can still make music. When I came into tech and entrepreneurship, it was a very intuitive calling from everything we were just discussing. I had no idea what I was doing. I started a company being utterly clueless about anything. And I went into technology going like, all right, what do I need to learn to make my things that are in my mind? into real things. And then I looked around me and I was like, oh man, I'm never ever going to be able to learn, you know, a tenth of this if even if I give it all the rest of my life. I'm not even like, if I just want to become a good developer in one language, because I was already kind of, you know, had I had foundations in code from being y- a young geek basically. But now I'm looking into the things I need to learn only in this specific realm, right? Like never mind anything else. Everybody that I know that are that is doing this is already better. And and I realized, okay, what was your real superpower all of this time? I wasn't the world's greatest guitar player, and I wasn't the world's greatest cameraman. What I had in all of these cases, also in event production, is that I had an idea, and I could assemble a team, and then I could lead the team to achieve some kind of goal or or flesh out some kind of idea. And I would take the world that I was best fitted for within the context. So if, for example, we have someone to do everything for this little film, but the soundtrack, I can write the soundtrack, right? But... I'm not supposed to do all of the roles. I'm supposed to do the role I'm most fitted for. Right. And my main responsibility is to have an idea and make sure it happens. And when I moved into tech and entrepreneurship, this really became my focus. I was like, don't learn how to do all of these things. Get better at them as you learn. And as you kind of, you know, go deeper, get better at things. One of, uh, I see that a lot of entrepreneurs have a lot of
0: talents, but let's say if they have a specific vision, turning it into a reality for other people, not for themselves, it could be a complex mission because they explain the idea, but how to get that that idea into something that they are connected to in reality. Do you have like a trick for that after doing that so many times?
1: One thing that, that helps me a lot is that I think when you have an idea, when you are living something in your head, whatever it is, I think it's really interesting to walk around in your own vision. So you don't really just have like the first spot you have. You have some abstract notion right you know the the david lynch uh book about uh ideation he calls it like he, he mirrors it to fishing saying it's like the ideas are not your own you're catching fish basically so there's like this river of inspiration and you're catching you just caught a big fish so i think that point of like you have something in your mind that's that's a and then i think the 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 b is like you want to walk around in your idea and you want to live it you want to live inside your idea and i think being able to you know, break down something, even if it's not your field, you don't understand what it is. But then you start living in your idea. You're imagining it more and more. And you start Googling about the questions this raises because you don't really know this that well. So you start asking questions. Then you meet people who know better. Either they're your friends or you reach out to them. And you start living in your idea. I think at the end of the day, this is what translates most when we speak. So when I want to get you on board, when I want you to to either join or even just understand what I want to do and what it is that we're now Communicating about if I live there, if I come from there, you're gonna you're gonna get stamped. Your passport's gonna get stamped. You're gonna come in. Mm-hmm. If it's an idea, I have an idea. You're not. It doesn't matter. Like A for passion, B for clarity, and C for the kind of invisible quality of, of of magnetism that draws you into this kind of astral environment where you can also see it. You know, maybe you see something different than I do. But now I open this portal. So what I'm what I'm saying is is a bit. You know, it's a bit. um On the poetic side, maybe, but I feel like the more you actually live in your idea, in your own mind, in your own sphere, the more you'll be able to get people to be excited about it, to understand what it is, to want to join it. And so I think it's almost our responsibility with the things we believe in and the things we are building to start, like I was saying earlier, like a higher and higher resolution. There's like a resolution of our thoughts and imaginations. And your kind of main job is to keep upping it. You know it's just getting sharper and brighter and deeper and more mapped, and I think that is you know that and just charisma, which is the way to you know have people remain attentive, have people you know want to join on a more personal level I think on the on a communicative angle, it's really about you are now in that place you're describing, mm-hmm. and this this translates very well i think I okay.
2: think also um a lot of uh creators experience, and I've heard Ira Glass from This American Life talk about this, uh, what's called the creator's gap. So when you're starting off, you have this vision. If it's a picture that you want to take or something that you want to write or something that you want to play, and then you realize that you start working on it and there's a huge gap between what you've actually thought of and what you actually create. Uh, and And the idea is to understand that it's going to take time. You don't just put your feet on the ground and just hit them running the ground running like there's some sort of curve and I think maybe you're now at a stage where you have a vision and you're able to make it happen I mean was it always this way didn't didn't you ever experience that gap between what you had in your uh, that idea that you had that fish that you caught and actually the reality
1: you always experience it and it gets better not really the, <laughs> the ideas get bigger and you might get better but they they keep going they keep getting like you know bigger as well i think it's like this is just an aspect of a judgmental mind i have a very like when i need to or when sometimes i don't even want to i can be very critical analytical you know i can i can go there and then all of the ideas are very far from their execution and all of the intentions are very far from their manifestation but i think that is really where you know there's another type of mind there's another type of consciousness where you go like I had an idea. I had a vision. And now I have a reality. The reality is stronger and much more real and dense than the imagination. It is perfect as is. What do we do with it? Not perfect in the sense of like, I can't improve it or I can't take it anywhere else. It's perfect in the sense of like, it shouldn't be anything else right now. This was my intention, but my intention was imaginary. This is a real thing. And being able to bring that a intention into reality in the first place is the kind of human miracle. This is what we do you know we we visualize or imagine or come up with something and then we bring it to life you can 't expect it to be exactly the way you want it to be because in a way you're playing God, but in another way you 're not God. This thing that 's happening right now is the thing that 's happening right now mm-hmm. it's like kind of like the question is almost like so there's this girl you want to go on a date with right, and she agreed to go on a date with you and you did go on a date if anything in this date does not go according to how you imagine the date is it a bad day
0: worst day ever
1: no <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's all gonna go differently every every single thing this person right. is gonna say and do and everything is gonna happen throughout the night you never imagine getting stuck in the rain you never imagine this person lost her credit card and you have to go back there and then you met your old friend you, you never imagine any of it by the way you're a creep if you did
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually felt like we had the same date. That's, like, that's exactly what happened. And on, and on that note, like, what would what would be your kryptonite?
1: I think my kryptonite used to be my inability to to focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for better or for worse, like, earlier I was defending it, saying like I think it's okay to do both things, right? But now I don't have an immediate answer. I have a lot of flaws. I could I could like you know again putting on the critical analytical cap. I could like think about all these flaws. But I, I think
0: think of the most humiliating one. The most humiliating one. I'm joking. Something something that you think (laughs) like a kryptonite means, I used to think, you know, I don't have a lot of kryptonites. Then I noticed that I have really, like, a lot of kryptonites. And if I don't have those people, okay, and I don't find those people who make a 100% chance for uh, a business to succeed, then it's not worth it. So my personal, like a uh, kryptonite is usually someone else's superpower. Right? <laughs> so, so what I'm asking is what, like when you have a, let's say, let's call the kryptonite this, when you bring in someone who who's supposed to fulfill, you know, in as a partnership, because uh, you, you can do anything like, right. So 100% of, of that company is, 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 um, your superpowers and, You have those flaws that you need someone else to do.
1: Most things I would need other people to do, especially in tech. Like I was saying earlier, I came from fields where I feel like I mastered all kinds of disciplines. And with the things I'm doing now, I need someone for everything. Like, I don't feel like I'm an expert on most things. Like, there are, you know, it's essentially it's the answer of, like, what would your job be if you were not the guy kind of, you know, making it happen? Mm -hmm. And I think, like, I would have potentially different jobs, but I would come up with, like, maybe four roles for me out of like 100 things for the 96 other things i would need people this is the beauty the the, the humility of, of doing this for me is like realizing it's all about the, these people it's all about the team it's all about other people's skills and talents it's not about like you, you you can do everything kind of thing and i think that this is a great question for me to to to, to kind of uh think about right now the, the kryptonite question because i always had this kind of like yeah for better or worse i do a bunch of things at the same time you know like many people think this is not maybe that means boredom but now i feel like it's not this could not be the answer right now because it's such a different time in my life you know not only am i doing this one thing everything in my life right now (laughs) is super different than normal like than up until now like i i have like a day-to-day you know i drink the same shake every morning i watch the sunset at the beach at the same spot every evening i do like i do these routines there's like ceremonies and i know it's about to end soon because i'm gonna go back on tour and i'm gonna go back to giving talks and I have all these things lined up that I know are going to take me more into where I've always been. So maybe it is my kryptonite, you know, maybe it is something I cannot avoid on an essential level, even if I now am uh, choosing something else and kind you of... I mean, the only reason you can do that,
0: maintain that, is because you know you're going on tour soon.
1: Yes, I could take a break for a long time without thinking about will I ever again. Of course, my life is going to resume in whatever way it should. But I think like being able to, to be so focused and so disciplined right now, has shown me that, you know what, maybe this is, this is an interesting answer because it's shown me that even the thing you consider, your kryptonite, even the thing that you think you can't do, maybe it's something that you can't avoid and you will come back. Right. But it is something you can do. There is, there is like, all of your patterns, you know, all of the things we kind of consider, just oh, this, is, this of, is who I am, this is just just I am. Just jump out of a plane, Well, you know. Yeah, you can, do, you can do these things too. It's not just not necessarily what you're meant to constantly be. How tolerant are you of other people's
2: flaws or if they don't do things as you wish?
1: I think... On a personal kind of friendship kind of level, I think um, I, I see myself as compassionate and very tolerant of my loved one's flaws. Uh, and I try and practice compassion. I think on a more professional level, I can be intolerant. I think like sometimes it really depends on the nature of the relationship. There's a person I'm working with right now that I think is very young. He's really brilliant. And he would be willing to work for free. He's just, he just wants to do what we're doing. But on the other hand, I do pay him. Uh, because I want to, and I think he should get paid. We can't pay him a lot because it's very early, but I don't want him to work for free. And this relationship is a kind of relationship where I, I need to be very forgiving. I think it's worth, even though he would work for free. I think his time is worth much more than what we're paying him. Mm-hmm. And he has all these other things happening in his life that I'm aware of, and he can take more time than he said he would. And it's not great for us, but I wouldn't. I would just kind of set boundaries, and I would, I would be tolerant. Uh, and then some other times, you have like a very professional relationship. Where you're like. You know, it costs a lot of money or it's something with high expectations. Everything is sorted. And when these things kind of start going sideways, I just feel like it's a person not being professional and not. I'm like sort solid. of getting a hunch
2: that people might be a bit and I'm not basing this on anything but just this conversation that maybe people uh, fear that you might not be tolerant to their mistakes when working with you at a team because it seems like you have very very high standards
1: the team we have now are all like in a way we're all discovering the world together like everything everybody's doing something bigger than they've ever done so i think there's a lot of tolerance in that Atmosphere, but sometimes you're in a place where you're promised professionalism. You're you're paying for professionalism. Mm-hmm. You're paying for results. I I'm very I think I'm I'm very compassionate in personal relationships, but not all relationships are supposed to be personal right. and compassionate. Nope. Sometimes they're supposed to be result oriented. You know, yeah, especially um, in
2: business, like you yeah. can't just uh, you know you can't be friendly,
0: especially uh, when you're spying to do something that is n- not benchmarked or anything to compare it to, because you need to be like. Doing an idea that what Matal is doing, which is unbelievably challenging, you actually need professionalism or even creativity that excels normal companies. Because the challenge itself, usually when you have to compare yourself business-wise, it's a lot easier when you have nothing to compare to.
1: Yeah, Maybe this is the most beautiful thing about working on this kind of project. Almost everybody that comes in touch with this, they want they want this passion to succeed. If I don't have
0: passion to to this, like I, I like I can't you know, you can't not supposed to be work there. for that. You and, can't.
1: And you, you get so much help uh, along the way. You get so many opportunities and help because people think that this should happen. It's not about you. It's not about their, their end game. It's, it's just about, costs. oh, I heard about this thing, I want it to happen, I will connect you to him, I will bring you there, I will give you this opportunity, I will give you this advice. And I think this is really, you know, the the basic element of, of this alignment. If you're trying to you know, align yourself with something that you think is important. I think the world, in a way, conspires uh, to help you because yeah, like the
2: stars align.
1: Yeah, but not you know, not in any mysterious way, even like beyond the mystical. Just they align in the sense of like people can resonate with this. This is something they can get behind, and so it's easier in a way. Even if it's like you're saying, kind of an impossible mission or challenging mission, and I feel like what we're doing now is very big, and I have no idea what's going to happen with it, but we're trying to. And you, when you see people trying, honestly has- trying to do something you think is is worthwhile you just have an easier time helping. And I think this is a word of encouragement for anybody who wants to do something like this. And just like, once you have your idea and you believe in it and you think it's bigger than you and it, it needs to happen, other people will feel that too. If it's a good idea, like it's, you're going to invoke this in other people. It's like, like said,
0: a potential movement. So the three words that he said, I think are very, matang. it's passion, clarity, and magnetism. I think that's like, that's also like you. Uh, Matan, like, I, I, I really hope like we meet again soon and you can tell me more of things that I can do with my tongue because right now I only have three very basic ideas <laughs> and only one of them I can tell on this podcast. So I hope <laughs> hey, we-, we
2: don't censor here. My, okay, let's censor. Let's no, so censor.
0: I, I think we can bleep, you know, like now we just put in the censor <laughs> yes. machine. But that was awesome. And we'll meet you again uh, soon. Yes. And uh, and hear more about that that adventure and like um, and see how and it changes see how the we world. Can steal your IP finally. Oh yeah, sounds good. Oh, good. <laughs> finally, That's
2: last time you could. Good
0: plan, Noah. We did it.
2: Yay! <laughs> Thank you.
0: Real life
2: superpowers.
0: Technology. It's alive! Real. Live. Superpowers.